episode of Power Move Makers. This series was created with a simple goal in mind, to bring to the table high-level executives, successful entrepreneurs, and just all-around inspiring human beings, not just focusing on their successes, but more important, shining a spotlight on the journey that they took to get there. Now, this week's guest, you know, I'm happy to have her on the show, number one, because I want to highlight more high-level executive women, specifically Black women doing their damn thing in corporate America. She has a long-standing career, everything from MTV, and we'll get into this in the interview, from MTV, um, comes from an accountant background, but now she is the head of diversity and, and inclusion at H&M. Please welcome to this week's Power Move Maker series, Miss, it goes to you. As in Nick Corberry. I wanted you to jump in there. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I love to see people try to remember and say my name. I think this is, has been happening all my life, so. Um, but yes, yeah, super excited to be here. Thank you for creating oh, this. Hold, hold your thought, as in a no. Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of Power Move Makers. This series was created with a simple goal in mind: to bring to the table high-level executives, successful entrepreneurs, and just all-around inspiring human beings. Not just focusing on their successes, but more important shining a spotlight on the road they traveled to get there. Now, this week's guest, I'm so happy to have her in the building. She brings a, a, a wealth of experience to the table and it has been a personal, uh, just a mission of mine to bring more high-level executives, in, in particular, high-level executive black women to the Power Move Maker series. So please welcome this week's guest, the head of, of diversity and inclusion for H&M, Miss Ezene Kaviri. Ezene, we got it right. Oh, yes, yes. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for this platform. And thanks for specifically trying to upgrade someone's FaceTime with me. Okay. Third time's a charm. Button. Three. Two, one. Welcome to another episode of Power Move Makers. This series was created with a simple goal in mind, to bring to the table high-level executives, successful entrepreneurs, and just all-around inspiring human beings. Not just focusing on their successes, but more important, shining a spotlight on the road they traveled to get there. Now, this week's guest, you know, I'm so looking forward to this interview because it has been a mission of mine to bring to the table more high-level executive women, and in particular, high-level executive Black women. Please welcome to this week's Power Move Maker series, the head of inclusion and diversity at H&M, Miss Ezene Quiberi. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Power Move Maker Series. Yes, yes, we're making power moves. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for creating this platform to highlight um, women, um, Black women, corporate movers and shakers. We appreciate you for elevating our voice. So I'm really excited to get into it. 
You know, I'm excited to have you here because you come from very humbling beginnings and you have made it to the top of corporate America. You are doing your thing. And you're somebody who not just black women, but black people in general can look up to and say, if she can do it, I can do it. So I love having guests like yourself on the show. To just get things started, where did it begin for you? Where did it begin? Um, You know, when I look back at my life, too, I'm just super humbled and blessed as to how far I've come. Um, I think anyone that knows me would would definitely tell you that I'm very, very humble. Um, I am from Nigeria. I was born there. We migrated over here when I was at the age of six. And I, we grew up, we moved right into New York, moved to the Bronx. So I'm a Bronx girl. Um, and we lived in the Bronx my entire childhood. I mean, the Bronx is really what I know and what I remember. And it wasn't until after when I was going to college, I'm a graduate of Howard University School of Business, HU. <laughs> and that was my first time living somewhere outside of the Bronx, you know? And I think even now it's so funny because my family is still very much in New York in the Bronx. And I mean, this is us. I think that a lot of times it, what will give away that I'm from somewhere else is because of my name. It's Ezene. And Ezene is actually Igbo name. That means good person, good mother, good person. So have a lot of um, to live forward to and, 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 a, lame, and a name to, to live up to. And, and, you know, when we were growing up, it was very much a village. Like it was everyone takes care of everyone. Um, everyone had to take care of all the children. The children had to take care of each other. My mom stayed in Nigeria. My dad was never in the picture. My mom stayed in Nigeria with her new husband and I moved here with her siblings. And when I think back at it, they were in their 20s and raising their niece, essentially, you know, and um, I was with my uncle. So it was like this little girl being raised by her uncle. So never wondered about like, I always felt like I had plenty father figures. And really the goal was to bring esteem and excellence to my family and to us and you know being nigerian too there's certain expectations that they have of you where you know you come from a place where opportunity is not given to everyone and everyone is trying to find their push and if i told myself if i had the ability to be here I am going to do everything in my power in order to be successful. And as I'm being successful, I'm always going to give back and I'm always going to be influential in whatever seat that I have. And, and really that's, I feel like that's my story. That's my purpose. I do things with intention. I do things very purposefully. Um, and I try to really just be the best me that I can because, you know, life is short and you just never know when your day is up. Like I told you, I was looking forward to having you on the show and um, just hearing you from the Bronx. That is 100% my backyard. You know, it, it, it's just something about people from the Bronx that, that strikes a chord with me. And in particular, this is why this series was created and why I asked everyone their background story. The Bronx. It is, it was, it's the poorest borough in New York City. Yeah. People in the Bronx don't have much, but there's always that sense of community. And I love to find people who made it out 
of such impoverished conditions because truth be told, there are South Bronxes all over the globe. And if somebody can listen to your story, hear how well-spoken you are, hear how you worked yourself from the South Bronx, went on to Howard University, and then made and are doing your thing currently in corporate America. I don't care what community you're in around the United States. You can do it. Yeah, you really can. You you are living proof. You can do it. Yeah. No, you really, you really can. And I and I really hope that people look at people like me and see that you can push forward because I didn't come from a space where, you know, you have that father or that mother or relative that's connecting you with a CEO to get a job or, um, you know, you're traveling the world and getting all these, no, we, I'm, I am around the word girl. Like I am the girl next door. You know, we were just trying to make it. We, you know, and if I even think about, I know when we were talking before, if I even think about the high school that I went to, I say back, I'm like, girl, why did you go to that high school? Like, <laughs> it, it wasn't like a target school. It wasn't a, pro- I went to a public school. I am a product of public school education. And so it really shows you that you can come from not the most sexiest environment and you can still push forward. You know, I, and really what I did is one, I told myself that I have to create a legacy for my kids and for the next generation behind me and my nieces and my nephews, for them to also see that you can, you can do it. And, you know, too, Sean, the thing is, when, you, when we came here X amount of years ago, being Nigerian and being an immigrant wasn't a cool thing to be either, right? right. I was constantly discriminated against, picked on. Um, you know, I was young, so I had an accent, but I, it kind of went away re- relatively quickly. But if you came into our household, we were very much Nigerian. We were very much Igbo. Uh, and, you know, and when you hear like my guardians and my family speak, you hear it. And, and you know, it was hard navigating and trying to find your voice and who you were in the mix of what it is to be a Black American. You know, and that wasn't an easy thing to kind of get through. And it's just thinking about all those things of like navigating financial aid and, um, you know, parent-teacher conference and transportation, all those things, you had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And that's what I told myself. I was like, I didn't come here to be a failure. I didn't come here to be comfortable. Um, And that's really the way... X amount of years later, I still approach my life every day, like in whatever role that I'm I'm in and whatever I'm doing, you always see me trying to figure out, okay, like, what am I doing? What's the next power move? You know, how am I bringing someone along with me? Because I want to show people, you can come from the inner city, you can come from a public school, you can come from a third world country, and you can still be very successful and very proud of where you come, where you are now. Well said, so well said. You know, I love that you are really tapping into these points before we get deep into the interview because that is what this show is all about. Well said. Um, You went to Howard. What'd you major in? I majored in accounting. (laughs) (laughs) No one ever believes me, but I majored in accounting. (laughs) 
So you have your degree in accounting. And, and I ask you this because so many people go to Howard and Howard is, you know, it's well known. They have read so many entrepreneurs and uh, people who have been highly successful in business. So you go there. Did you did you pledge by any chance? I did. I am a member of Delta Sigma. Thing. I, I, I should have guessed. Yes. <laughs> Shout to the D. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. Okay. You get out of college, you have your BA. What's your first job out of college? So here's the thing. I've actually been working since I was about like four, 15 years old, I think it was. My very first job was at McDonald's. Um, and I, I, I loved it. Like I used to work there with my best friends. It was like our thing to do outside the house. So while I was at Howard, um, I think it's really important that I share this too. I think a lot of times, especially in the school of business, you know, there's a certain type of roadmap that you go through. And, and I wasn't on that roadmap at all. Like I was the person trying to network with other students. I wanted to know what was going on in the arts. I wanted to know what was going on in the biology um, and across the campus. And I think that also pledging helped me do that as well, where I was able to meet a lot of different students. And there you were also like expected to get a lot of internships and I didn't have any of those things. So again, like I really want people to see that even if your path is not what the traditional path is, you can still be a road of success. And I didn't have any internships because I had to work. I had to work every summer. And then the summers when I wasn't working, I had to go to summer school because I was actually a semester behind most people. And once I graduated in accounting, I went to a top five accounting um, firm, which was PricewaterhouseCoopers. And at that time, they were like part of the big four. And it was very, um, it was like a big deal to be part of their organization. And, but I, I kind of walked in already knowing that I wasn't going to be there too long. Because even though I majored in accounting, and I was doing auditing and compliance, I knew that wasn't the end goal. And I wanted something that will allow me to be a bit more creative, and allow me to be able to work with other people. So that was my first professional job was at Pricewaterhouse. Can we stop there for a second? Because I think that this is a teaching moment and I think it's a learning moment for anybody who currently finds themselves in a similar position. Mm -hmm. You go to school, you get your degree in accounting. That's what's expected of you. Yeah. To be an accountant, to come, and, and I'm sure when you came out, you got your job at Price Waterhouse Coopers. You know, your family is, hey, SNA is doing her thing. She yeah. <laughs> but as you know, there's somebody somewhere right now who is doing something that they know in their heart, in their soul, in their spirit. This just isn't my life's purpose. Even though I might have gone to undergrad, grad, for all I know, they got a PhD. Mm -hmm. But they know I, I'm just not supposed to be doing this. And it doesn't feel right, but it's expected of me. Yeah. I studied for it. I have a job, income's coming in. Can you speak to somebody just about the mindset? Yeah. Of going with your life's purpose and not just relying on what it was that you studied for and what it was you were taught, because I do believe that you are going to be successful wherever you find your life's purpose. 
And it might not be necessarily the thing you studied for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I think that what's important is that you you do different things and get experiences to try to identify what your purpose is, right? Because sometimes, let's say like, if you are maybe a younger adult or you're just new in school, you may not even know what your purpose is. Like you may be trying to still discover yourself. And I had a lot of discovery wows at Howard as well. But what I wanted to make sure that I did is, so, so understand this, I went to that company knowing I wouldn't be there long, but I still went because I knew that I was going to create a certain foundation that will help elevate me for my next opportunity to come. And that's what it did. And then while I was there, I was very strategic again about like how I placed myself, what learnings what I, was I getting, what mentors were I, was I creating relationships with so that they can also help me navigate because I knew that I was going to be in corporate, but I'm like, how do I use this accounting degree to be something a bit more creative that is a bit more purposeful for me or a little bit more entertaining for me that I wanted to do. So I didn't want to just take the degree and be like, okay, done with it because you, you, you gained something from whatever experience or education you have. So really my advice to people is you take the experience for what it is and you continue to be strategic. Don't just say, oh, I don't like it. I'm just showing up to get a paycheck. You don't want that, right? Because there is going to be something you can pull from that experience or that project you're working on or that manager you have or that client you have, the coworker. There's something you can pull from them. And that's what I did. I used to just figure out, okay, I'm going to get this work done and the work is going to be done, but what else can I get? How else can I use them to order to fulfill my purpose? And that's what I did. And really what happened is then that opened up the door to my next. And my next was at MTV, you know, where I spent majority of my career um, at there. And how I got there is because I was very honest in the fact that I wanted something different, but very strategic as well. Talking to different people, understanding where they were, talking to other people that had accounting degrees too and similar and saying like, okay, what are you, what are you seeing? Where are you? And then someone said something so simple. They were like, oh, well, you know, every business needs um, some type of accountant. And I'm like, wait, you're right. I mean, it's like, duh, right? Like, why wouldn't I know that? Like, why would it? But your brain, you're so caught up in like figuring out, again, going back, I'm going to keep saying it, what's your next power move? That you're not thinking about the basic. And the basic is any business, entrepreneur, special project, startup, whatever, needs someone with a business background and business foundation. So figure out what is your leg in in that. And then I think from there, it opened up my eyes to different industries and different companies that I can work for. Because to be honest, prior to that, I just kept thinking, I have to work at a bank. I have to work in Wall Street. I have to work in financial services. I have to work in as a consultant. I wasn't even thinking about media, entertainment, fashion, retail, music. None of those things even came my way until I started being a little bit more vulnerable and letting people land and then getting their advice on it. Great advice. And, 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 you know, it's something that people can learn from because so often we put our own self in a box. We, we think very narrowly, you know, very unilateral. And we don't open our ideas up to the fact that my skill set 
it doesn't necessarily have to be used just in one area. I can apply it to anywhere else in the world and excel. So I think that it's great that you brought that point up. You get over to MTV. What was your, do- your job title there? So, so I was there for 11 and a half years. So it changed plenty of times. So initially I was hired in an audit, auditing compliance capacity because of my background. Mm-hmm. They were looking specifically for someone that was coming from an accounting firm, funny enough, or that had like a CPA, but I, I didn't do all of that. Um, so I came in as a, I think it was a senior associate of, of auditing compliance, production compliance. Um, and then while I was there, so what we were really doing was auditing some of our favorite TV shows from back then. If anyone remembers Pimp My Ride, that was actually yep. with Exhibit. That was actually the first show that I worked on. And really, we were tasked to improving our business processes when it came from a business perspective. Because um, I think MTV started in like 1982 or 80-something. So it was really all about production and creative. So they were lacking some of the business foundations. And that's what we were doing. We were trying to create some of those business things. And then with that, um, I transitioned into doing more project management work and then um, business strategy and change management, which was navigating through different changes in the organization. And then lastly, more diversity and inclusion, people-orientated work. What year did you leave MTV? Uh, That would have been 2018, 2017. 2017, 2018. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know where the timelines, but you know, I want to move this because we have so much to go over. Diversity and inclusion is is all the rave, it's the buzz phrase, but nobody really knows exactly what that means. And I want you to educate us all, not just on what it means to you, but how, you know companies can benefit from having someone like yourself on board. So, you know, you're you're at MTV 2017, 2018. I know, and and then you go, I'm assuming, directly over to H&M to become their head of diversity and inclusion. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. In, what was it, January 2018, Mm -hmm. H&M has one of the biggest... Campaign marketing blunders ever comes across extremely insensitive, tone deaf, out of touch, um, with a little boy wearing a coolest monkey in the jungle shirt. Mm-hmm. Were you hired as a result of that, or were you there at the time of that rollout? So I was not there when they had that photograph and the image of the boy wearing the sweater. Um, I think with the response from the customers and the employees, very unexpected response, I would say, from them. Um, I think the company had to do an internal inventory as to what their processes were, what they stood for, and how they're going to move forward. And then figure out the strategy of how they're going to move forward once they've identified the gaps. I Creating this role was part of that. Mm-hmm. So the role was created as a result of them going through their own inventory and reflection and realizing 
oh, wait, we have some serious gaps here. We're lacking some serious things. We need someone to help create strategy, framework, and push us forward in that. Um, so then that's when the role came about. So I don't, for them, because I wasn't there yet, I don't know the timing from, you know, uh, media outcry to when we decided the role was going to be there because I joined much later in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's important to say as a, as a customer of the brand, I too was taken aback when I saw the image, you know, I was like, Oh, like, wow. You know, I, I think we all were as an, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think we all were in, it was justified. It wasn't just, Oh yeah. You know, these days you have to watch what you say. You have to watch what you do. There is a cancel culture out there. We know mm-hmm. this in this particular incident. I remember seeing the ad me having a, a, a marketing background and doing that for so many years of my career, I looked at that in, you know, as a black man and as a marketer, I'm like, what the heck? How did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was the same. And then I was in the same boat. And I know many of us was like talking with our own circle of friends and just trying to understand and figure things out. And, and to be honest, I, I, I made up my own decisions and I kind of like left it alone in the mix of me trying to figure out what was next and what my next move was going to be. Um, and then I started seeing and hearing that they were looking for someone to support in their inclusion diversity efforts. And after going back and forth many a times with my um, trust circle, you know, I was like, you know what? Why not? Like, why not try to go in there and and take a seat at the table and be part of the change that is necessary that we, our people, as a black woman, as a black man, want to see, you know, and 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 not just leave it or assume that they have it or they were going to do. So when I when I was afforded the opportunity to serve as their first um, head of inclusion diversity for North America, I, I took it and I took it with a sense of pride because um, and also really understand that they, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And it's a brand that is a household name that many people know, and it, but it's, it's also a huge organization that's based in Sweden. You know, so it's like, how do you navigate that? And how do you make sure that you implement things that are going to be sustainable and they're going to be authentic and filled with integrity? Um, and that's really the challenge. So when a lot of people say, and, and to be honest, I get really frustrated when people think that diversity and inclusion is like no big deal or it's a joke or it's just, held by black women, Uh, you know, those are all stereotypes that we, especially as a community, need to not be a part of. And we need to make sure that we are advocating for those people that are taking on those roles. Because I will tell you, they are working extremely hard to make sure that representation is included in these organizations and within these industries. You know, so I think it's really important that we are a bit more empathetic to those that are leading in. And it's not only black women. There are other people there. You know, some faces are just a little bit more prominent than others um, because of maybe brand association, et cetera. But it's it's a it's a job that is tasking not only externally, but only but also internally too, to think that. I, this happened and then you to my community and you still need to help find the solution for that. And that's not an easy task to do. I think the better question is making sure that these individuals have the correct amount of influence 
and authority that they need in order to drive change within the organization, as opposed to saying that their that their job is um, not worthy or is not impactful or whatever terminologies people use every now and then. You know, diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. We hear this terminology. But for our audience, what exactly is diversity and what is inclusion? Yeah. yeah. How are they separate? Mm-hmm. You know, because you can be from the outside looking in and you can have a different meaning or you can think that those two words mean the same thing. So to somebody like yourself, who is the head of diversity and inclusion for an international brand, what exactly is it? No, it's such a great question to ask too, because actually if you go country by country, the definition of diversity is very different. And it's different because of the makeup of that country, right? So if I go back to my roots and think about how would someone identify diversity in Nigeria is probably very different than how we would say diversity Correct. is in the U.S., right? Um, and, and really, but the, the core of diversity is a mix of people. It's a mix of people, mix of characteristics, mix of identities, mix of beliefs. Like, that's what it is. It's all the differences, things that we can see visibly. So you can see my race, you can see my gender. And then, but what about all those things that we, that are invisible, my marital status, my education level, my working style. So that's what diversity is, is that mix of everything, like all those different things. And then each person or each institution, each group needs to identify what are your main, um, priorities with diversity. So like I mentioned, maybe in Nigeria, it's not race, but maybe it's more of tribal religion, right? Like your tribes that you're part of, or maybe it's age diversity we're looking for there, or gender diversity. Where in the U.S., probably the first thing that most people focus on is probably um, between race and gender. So it just depends on where you are. And then inclusion is like taking this mix of everything, of identities, characteristics, beliefs, et cetera, and bringing them together and how do they put, how do they work in a puzzle? Where are you finding the appropriate pieces where each thing fits in, where you feel that you can be who you want to be and there's a sense of belonging in there as well. So that's what inclusion is. Inclusion is making you feel welcome. The other um, one I want to just throw in there is a piece of equity. Mm-hmm. And, and equity, sometimes you'll see that you see diversity, inclusion, diversity, inclusion, equity, equity, like it, it kind of moves around depending on who it is. And equity just really means like, do you have a stake in the ground, right? Like if I'm planting a seed, do I own that seed? Can I watch it harvest? Are you giving me the tools to let it grow? Um, if you're thinking about the organization, Where's my voice in the organization? How am I able to move? Do I have the same access and opportunity as you do, as my boss does? Like, so really deep down is like, okay, yes, you brought me in. I'm seeing other diverse people. Great. I do feel included. Yes, I feel the culture is there, but do I truly have access? And I think it's important that we also try to talk about that a little bit more too. I would love to. And just because you brought it up, you know, you speak equity but there's a big difference between equity and equal, Mm -hmm. especially within corporate. So while I'm sure 
we, I, I would assume corporate is striving to, to have, to make their employees feel as though there is more equity in the fact that, you know, they have some ownership or some stake in what they're doing within the um, office. It's not properly balanced all the time yeah. when you walk into these buildings in terms of the black and brown faces that you see. Mm-hmm. And because of such, people of color don't necessarily feel that equity because yeah, they yeah. just feel outnumbered, you know, right off the top. And they often are, you know, I think that that's, that's the hard part. And it is part of the reality is, is that the black and brown people un, under, are completely un, underrepresented almost in every single industry that you go to. I mean, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today and you can see the diversities you, when you usually see diversity is more on the very junior levels, right? Mm. It's all maybe one year to yep. uh, one through five, one to three, et cetera. But as, as you start to go up that upper management level, those gaps get extremely wider and wider and wider. You know, I think to your point about equal versus equity, which is why I don't think it's interchangeable. And I, and I think equal when it comes to diversity and inclusion is actually a bit harder because we're not talking about a law that we're trying to make equal. We're talking about policies and procedures and access that we're trying to make equitable, you know, and and that's going to be what the difference is. And, and you, I think it's, it's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm even trying to think about if if someone was like, well, I don't feel equal. I'm like, well, yeah, it's going to be hard for you to feel equal. You're, you're not like the question is, do you have equity? Do you, do you feel included? Do you have diversity? Um, Cause if, if, if I think about, um, even like senior management positions and things like that, all things are not made the same. All things are not equal. And it's really because we all have our own individual needs. So it's not going to be completely the same, but can, can it be measurable? And do we, can we assure that we are being fair? And I think that that's the difference there too. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not something that's going to be fixed overnight. It was not something that, you know, it wasn't Rome wasn't built in a day. This this has been going on for so many years. And, you know, quite honest, many of our people don't feel like they get a fair shot in corporate. Um, do you work closely with HR? Yep. So I work, my biggest stakeholders is probably HR, marketing, communications, and of course the leadership team. Okay, great. And I ask you this because, you know, we're all human beings. Yeah. HR in particular, they're the ones getting the resumes. It is not, you know, people come in with, it's not uncommon to, to have unconscious biases. Yeah. Some people are conscious of biases, mm-hmm. but it's not uncommon to have these unconscious biases. Yep. And as a black man myself, you being of Nigerian descent, we know we can, we have colorful names. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> everybody is not Bob or, or or Tom. You know, within our community, we have ethnic names. And we can't seem to get a fair shot in terms of even getting in the door to get an interview. And I've always wondered, and I I guess I'll ask you um, while I have you here, 
Do you find that HR, whether consciously or unconsciously, are putting a lot of qualified resumes to the side simply based on the fact that they know on the other end of that resume, based on the name alone, it's somebody who's a black or brown person? You know, I think that HR probably is one of the biggest areas of opportunity when it comes to diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, and, and, it's, and it's really because a lot of the HR teams are also kind of one note, where maybe they all have very similar backgrounds, similar school levels, similar lifestyles. So what's happening is because of their unconscious bias, they are interviewing people and they're pushing people forward that's actually connecting and vibing with them, right? When you talk about like company fit and cultural fit, which I try not to use that term too much because we're not looking for a fit. We're just looking for someone that will mesh well, right? I think when you when you say fit, it feels forced a bit, in, mm-hmm. in, at least to me. Um, but I think the HR teams across everywhere, so not unique to any one organization, need to do a more a better job and a more intention of bringing in diverse talents. And the and the problem that is happening now is that we're they're really l- relying on platforms such as LinkedIn and Glassdoor and even Instagram to hire and to bring in and to promote instead of going to where these people are, right? Because if there's a uh, hundred thousand people on inst on on LinkedIn and 60 to 70 percent of them are non-minorities and you're looking for a role those names and resumes will automatically just based on algorithms will automatically pop up first so in order for you to attract me and to get me you need to come and seek me and you need to find me and you need to share the opportunities with me because maybe one and this happens also with us is you psych yourself out and thinking that you can't even apply Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you don't even submit anything to begin with or you never even saw it because they weren't on your radar. Maybe you're not looking or, you know, whatever it may be that caused you to to not even see it. So the HR teams need to go in with more intention and, and come out of their network. So one thing that I actually think companies should do is have actually have a diversity recruiter because, um, and I'm assuming that person may be of a diverse background, can also tap into their own networks. Because the reality is if I'm putting in mind to my network, yes, I'm gonna give you people from everywhere, but the majority of my network is probably gonna be black women because I'm a black woman. Correct. Yeah, so my own bias is going to be that as well. So those are gonna be the majority of the recommendations you're gonna get. So now imagine if I'm the head of HR, you're going to be getting all these black women um, resumes every day for every single role. So now if your HR team is mostly white, it will be the reverse. So, so no, to answer your question directly, I don't think that they are moving resumes away because of names. I don't even think that they're necessarily even getting them because of the algorithms based off the, the tools that they're using. I think it's automatically kicking those out or they're bringing it to a, um, a lower part of the, uh, the lower part of the list. So by the time I read through a hundred resumes, I'm not even going to get to 101 who's as because I'm already tied and I've already done a hundred, 
you know, so I think it, it's so much of, and this is also why a whole lot of, you can get so many things we can talk about, but this is why AI gets, it's, it's really critical and thinking about like technology and how algorithm works. A lot of us are on Instagram. It's the same thing. Your algorithm is impacting who's seeing your stuff. So depending on what you're, what you're pushing out there, someone that you want to see it may never see it. And not because they're trying to exclude you, but because the algorithms are working against us. It's so true. Um, you know, you you spoke about women earlier, and this is a common, you know, discussion that I personally have. You know, you you speak to people who are in positions of management, positions where they can hire, and we have these same discussions, and they say, you know, we are diverse. We have plenty of women in leadership roles, and I'm like, uh. They're white women, you know. It's 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 not like it's diverse enough. Yes, you have women, but you don't have the women of color being represented. And I I, I guess I gotta ask you, just as a as a as as a person on the outside looking in, uh. You know, we spoke about the blender with with H and M in that advertising campaign, but it's not just with H and M. I rec- I can recall off the top of my head, and again, this is the marketing side. Yeah, Sean coming out. I remember Mary J. Blige and Burger King teaming up, and they have her singing about fried chicken. Mm. Um, Dove did an ad where it was you know a, a black woman taking off her shirt, and by the time her shirt was off, she was now white. Um, you know, Nivea did something white as purity. And I'm on the outside, and I'm like, how does this even, like, they have intelligent people there. I, I have to believe everybody in the room is not racist. Yeah. But how does something like, you know, being in marketing, you being in corporate, you know there are so many different people that have yeah. to go yeah. through these ads, everything from the font yeah. to the color to the the image quality to the messaging. And I, I'm like, it went through, a, and, and then to legal, and legal has to kick it back. And it went through about 15 different processes before it ever saw the light of day. And you're telling me nobody on the inside said, this just doesn't feel right. This is offensive. It is borderline racist. We are going to catch an L for this. Like how, how did, is that, is it just a lack of, I would assume people of color or people who are just in tune? Yeah. How does that happen? It's, I mean, you just kind of, given those examples, it really just like, you know, you kind of want to scream and be like, what the hell was happening? You know, and I people always say, well, who was there? What was happening? And, you know, I, I think a lot of it, too, goes back to what I was saying about if you have the diversity, do you have the inclusion? Do you have the equity? Do they feel comfortable enough talking? Because I think in, in one of those examples, too, 
it was, I mean, somebody, I can't, someone actually came forward and said, no, I was there. Um, but I never felt like I can go against my boss. Oh, I never felt like I can wow. say something differently. And, and, and to me, that's the part that frustrates me the most because you're supposed to be a leader and managing the team. And I don't care who you are. If your team cannot stand up and raise their hand and say, wait, hold on. I don't agree with this. I think we need to look at this a little bit different. This is what this reminds me of. You need to step away because I don't think you're an effective leader, you know, and, and I and and that's really what the problem is, because I agree with you, you know, and, and I, it's the optimistic in me, too. I don't think majority of the people that were that were even parts of some of these mishaps are racist at all. I don't. Um, but but the problem is, is that there's no diversity in your teams. So even with all those departments that you're getting the sign off, you're probably getting the sign off from once someone senior, which is what I mentioned, as you go into upper management, you lose the diversity and, and you're also getting crippled because everyone is moving too fast. So it's like, oh, okay, I've seen another marketing thing. I'm going to sign, I'm going to sign. But no one's really looking and seeing, well, how has this impacted my customers, my clients, my employees, et cetera. And are you putting it out there for other people to give you feedback on? And, 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 you know, when I talked to marketers about this before, you know, it's like, it's impossible. We can't get, we can't do focus groups for every single campaign. And I agree with you, you can't, but at the same time, are you utilizing the resources that you have there? And are you making sure that your team is diverse, but also that they feel like they can speak their voices? And I don't think that the latter is happening. I think that people may have some diverse individuals on their teams, but I don't feel like they are empowered to utilize their voice, which is going back to the very beginning of our conversation. That is why like, it is my duty to make sure that I continue to be influential in the seats that I have, because I can't sit there and not give my contribution then Correct. you shouldn't want to have me there. You know, I wanted to the point where you're scheduling, you're scheduling meetings around me because you want my opinion. Like that's, that's what I wanted to be, right. you know? So I, I, I think it's, it's so important that anybody that's going through these processes to really take inventory and think, can, if I put something out there, does my team feel encouraged to tell me this is not going to work? That's, that's groundbreaking. Yeah, I think it is. Um, we could have this conversation all, all day. Um, you know, myself being the, the CEO of a marketing agency, I can tell you firsthand how many companies we've gone in to pitch. Mm. And we're pitching for AA business. Um, and there's nobody of the culture in the meeting. The, the, the head of, know. Know. you know, African-American and, and, and Latin, Latino marketing, yep. they're not of the culture. Crazy. So crazy. we're going in and we're pitching ideas that will 100% resonate with our people. There are these implicit biases that they, they just don't get. They, they're like, you know, well, you know, that that won't work because it is not the traditional form of marketing. Yep. And yep. I just feel like we, we, we're just set up, um, you know, we, we set, and I don't want to say set up for failure because I am an optimist, mm -hmm. but as a people, it is so, we have so much further to go. Yeah. The gatekeepers don't even reflect who it is that they're marketing to. They don't reflect the consumer. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you know, and listen, <laughs> I, you know, like I said, I work for global brands. I've been on both sides of the table and what you're saying, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the actual fact. I no, mean, it's, it's, a, it's fact. It's, I, I'm living fact. proof of it. Yeah, it's the fact. And then what happens is it's like, oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to resonate. We don't have the budget. You know, it, you come up with all these things and then they create something else and you're just like, this completely fell flat. You know, and, and I, I think the hard part about it is it needs to continue to impact about the bottom line. And I think that that's how companies start to recognize it more. I think even now too, a lot of um, employees are a lot more vocal than they probably have been in the past. So I think that that also helps as well is because they're pushing companies to do more. A lot, if we kind of go back to a couple of months ago with the murder of George Floyd and, and, um, and other black people in the black community, when companies started making those statements to support Black Lives Matter, majority of them were the direct request of their employees. And, and, the re, and it really shows people, I don't believe in cancel culture. You know, I, I believe in pushing for change. And, and I think that because these companies were forced to do this, this is what we need to continue to do, right? And then those that... Have, that push their companies to do this. Now, how are you holding them accountable afterwards? So that when someone like you comes in and they want to pitch in the back of their mind, they're remembering, Oh wait, we have these commitments. We have people that want us to be accountable. We need to think differently and, 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 and push in a different direction. So I think it's so important that we continue to utilize our voices in those type of spaces until companies really do different and they're being forced to do different. So we we need to continue to apply that pressure on them to do different. And I think that that's where we'll start to see the change a bit more. And, 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 and it wasn't because they what didn't want to do better. It's just, everyone just gets comfortable. You just ride in the wave. You just ride in it. It's still moving. I'm still a, I'm still afloat. I'm still progressing. But, but you turn around and before you know it, another company has already done two circles around you because you didn't want to give this one marketing agency an opportunity. There you go. So yeah. That's how they learn, unfortunately. Yeah, the bottom line. It always yeah. comes down to the bottom line. Question for you. You've been in the building now for two years or so. Uh, High-level executive position. Do you find that you have been able to make real change? Mm -hmm. And I ask this because it's now becoming more common, especially for Fortune 500 companies, uh, you know, very profitable, very well-known organizations to bring in heads of diversity and inclusion. But can we feel safe from from being on the outside that this is just not a figurehead position, that they are actually taking what you have to say and the policies and the procedures that you're putting in place to ensure that everybody within the company, not just black and brown people, but people's religious beliefs, LGBTQ community, whatever it might be, that people are being treated fairly? Or is it just them checking a box? To say, look, hey, 
we have a black woman who yeah. runs, you know, the, the, the head of diversity and inclusion. We're doing our part. Yeah, no, I, I think that the difference here is it's up to the individual who was hired, appointed or whatever to make sure that they're not just a box that someone ticked, right? So we need to demand more of ourselves and the organizations that we're in to make sure that the role that you're sitting in is not just one of tokenism. And then when you do feel like it is getting to that point, you pick up your stuff and you exit the building because we cannot allow ourselves to just be in a figurehead type of role. That's not what we wanted to do. That's not the purpose of the role because people, like you said, are literally counting on you internally and externally. It, it, I remember in my very first days when I tell you the bright eyes, like literally an excitement that people that look like me had. And like you said, not just black and brown people, but any other group that felt underrepresented. And to say, wow, there's hope. This is the future. We can push forward. With that type of perspective and people behind you and pushing you forward, you can't just be a, a box ticker. Like you can't even allow yourself to be that. Like, like that's not what our ancestors wanted for us for to do, right? They weren't just just doing just to do. We're here trying to make real change. Um, so, so you know, directly to your question, I think it all varies per organization. I think there's some organizations that have people that sit at um, head of diversity and inclusion roles that are doing amazing, and they have some that I don't see nothing. You know, and of course it could be because I'm not looking. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, make it seem like it's all them. But, you know, I think that the important thing is to make sure that um, you have a budget <laughs> to make sure that you are at, in those rooms that you're supposed to be in. If there's a meeting with a leadership team, you need to be part of that conversation and to make sure you really have the autonomy to make change happen. And, and then you push them for that change. But I think one thing that is really important is that power move of change does not live and die only with you. It's impossible. It cannot be one person. It cannot be one function. So as much as I am the lead of it, I am the lead, but there's still an army of 18, 20,000 people that need to do their part if we're ever going to see something. And it does start from the top bottom. So my job is really to advocate, to push, and to challenge those that are making these key decisions to make sure it doesn't feel performative, you know? And 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 that's really what the difference is. And and that type of autonomy, honestly, is really going to is really going to vary per individual and it's going to vary per organization. I'm a very vocal, direct, candid leader. So my executive and my CEO already knows he's going to get the real deal. And he already knows that I am not just going to take a, oh, we'll do that next time. Oh, no. Like, that's not going to happen. Because like I said, there's thousands of people behind me 
waiting, embracing, and looking for that change. So I do feel like we've made impact. I think you mentioned before, you're not going to see everything overnight. Change doesn't happen overnight, right? So I, I do feel like there's impact being made. I do feel like there are processes that are being audited and being changed, um, partnerships that are existing that never existed before and those opportunities are there so we have to just keep chipping away and kill and building those 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 bricks brick by brick by brick until we truly get the foundation that we're looking for in order to be able to have sustainable change yeah you know that's a great answer and i would i always wondered this because (laughs) this is relatively new in terms of a position you know head of diversity and inclusion didn't exist. Maybe it did exist, you know, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, in certain companies, but it's still relatively new. Yeah. So I, I have to believe in, in you being the first at H&M, you are kind of paving oh, yeah. the way. Like you're showing them what a head of diversity and inclusion should be. Mm-hmm. So it's really incumbent on you, incumbent on you to get in there, fight the battles head on, make sure you speak up for so many people who feel marginalized and unrepresented, even within the company, not outside, but within the company yes. at the moment. Yes, you have to look. I think that's another critical piece, too. You have to look within the company and what's happening. I think the marketing stuff is, is great and that thing is going to take you and it's going to create brand identity and brand DNA for people to, to people to want to work for you. But again, if they walk in the door and it's BS, they will walk right back out the door. So it, it, it's so, 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 so true. I, and, and um, yeah, you know, I think that that's another, you know, it's, I think we we're talking before. It, never in my life am I walking around thinking I'm about to be the first of anything, right? Like, I mean, especially in something like like this, that is truly, like you said, is groundbreaking, is impactful, is truly purposeful work, um, and is is really what I was looking for. Like, I'm like, I want to feel directly feel the impact of my work. That's what that was the big change between going from MTV to H and M. I'm like, how do I? And so it could have been whatever company. H and M was just the lucky ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk that talk, as it is. It could have been any company, but I think really, I I was like, where do I go that I'm influential? Where do I go that I'm really making impact? And I feel like it's purposeful work. So even in my the days that I am exhausted, 12, 14 hour days, I still get up being like, we did that. Like we did that. Like we are making that step. We are building those foundation. We are truly setting the railroad for the next person that's going to go on to this journey. And for those that are benefiting from it, you know, and I think that that is what the goal um, is, regardless of how um, tiring it could be. And it, it is. It is. I got a question for you. Are there any, now that you've been within the company, you have this position, are there any common stereotypes that you've found that just have jumped out at you that you're like, you know, I almost can't even believe, like, this is, is this the way you think of people who are different? And I use the word different because, I, I you know, I want to make this conversation a little broader. Yeah. Than, 
you know, like we just said, in, in terms of skin color, because yeah, it, yeah, it encompasses so much more. But are there, are there common stereotypes that you found? I think that one thing that's really interesting, regards, like you said, the wide scope of diversity we're talking about. I think oftentimes the majority is kind of like, I didn't know that there was a problem. Like, of course, of course, everyone is equal. Of course, everyone has access. Of course, any everyone can apply for a job. Why would you think I'm discriminated against you because of your name? Um, you know, I think that that's probably the biggest always like, hmm, okay. I'm like, yeah, no, pe- people don't believe, like, it's that, not reality. That, like, it doesn't happen. I'm so happy you brought that up because that, they don't see themselves. Yeah. And I have to believe in my heart of hearts, these people are not raging racist. They're not thinking that they are biased. Mm -hmm. And to hear you say one of the most common stereotypes that you found is them scratching their head, you know, like I didn't even know it was a problem. that is the problem. Yeah, yeah. No, I think people truly believe, they're like, why wouldn't you have the same access and opportunity as me? Like, it's not, the only difference I think maybe someone would say is like, oh, well, I have maybe more work experience than you do or whatever. And that's really like the only difference. Like, I'm more of an expert. So regardless of what, however you identify, whatever it is, I'm just more of an expert in, in that role or in that, in that skill set. And they really just leave it as that. And, and, and it's interesting because when you, when you start to share, which is also, it's really important we share our stories more. When you start to share, then it's like, oh, like you experienced that and that's happened to you. And people think that, and really what it is, Sean, is that we're actually all living in our own little bubbles of some sort. Right. And the bubbles that we live in is really what's creating these unconscious biases and and stereotypes and judgments or whatever we want to label them. And I think that people need to um, there's so much power in just storytelling and being able to share more. But I I think that's probably the the main thing that stands out. I was trying to think of another example, but I think that that's really always what it is. It's like, oh no, or, or, okay. Another thing may be, it's only a small subset of people that have an issue, right? So let's say if we're thinking about underrepresented group and underrepresented groups make up 60% of the organization, out of that 60%, only 5% of people really have an issue. The other 55 actually love the company, love the work, love what we're doing, feel like they have opportunity. Feel, and I think that that's another thing too. I think sometimes we, we try, we, they try to make it much smaller subset of people and not realizing that maybe those people just happen to be the more vocal. Correct. But the rest of the people still want the access opportunity and, and everything representation. Yeah, you know, even as you're talking, I sit and I think um, we all know the Central Park Karen. Um, you know, white woman walking her dog, black guy asks her, put the leash on the dog. She calls the cops. Mm-hmm. He's threatening me. You know, I feel threatened, which we all know as black men, that is, you, you pretty much putting a death sentence out on me saying as a white woman calling the cops and saying a black man, an African-American black man is threatening me. I'm afraid. Yeah. But in 
as, as that story was unfolding, it came to light that this woman, she was an executive, mm. high level executive. Yeah. And she said out loud, I'm not a racist. And, and it always concerns me. Maybe in her head, she doesn't see herself as such. But you damn sure pulled that white privilege card when you was calling the police. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and but these are the other these are the people on the other side yeah. of you being hired, you moving up in a company you being able to even have a voice within that company without feeling like I'm going to get my pink slip. Yeah. So there's so much work to do. And like I said, even as I was, you know, getting more into that case, you know, this woman is adamant about, you know, she, she has black friends. She, she, she's, you know, not a racist whatsoever, um, yeah. which was astounding to me. Yeah. And I think that I think even that video probably also opened up the eyes for um, other white men and women as well um, to be like, oh, wow. Like and even probably think to themselves, have I ever considered a black man to be threatening me for doing or how am I reacting? Right. I think it kind of opened their eyes up to how do you react? But but that 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 particular situation was it, it was very eye opening and, and it did speak a lot about. Um, privilege and escalation and, and, um, you know, and judgment a lot too. Um, and, and, you know, and we watched it and, and the guy sounded like he was just simply axing, you know, so it's just, you know, but what happened to her before or what has she seen for her to immediately feel like it was an attack? And that's really, again, if we tap him back to the core, that's like the issue. Truth be told, I don't even know if she felt attacked. Mm. I, I, I personally feel it was just privilege. white privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How okay. dare you? You yeah. you have the audacity to confront me. Do you understand who I am and yeah. what I can do to you? How I can ruin your life? And here's the the, the kicker: she could not have picked a a. a a better representation from our community. This guy's well-educated. You know, he works as, as an editor or something for Marvel Comics. Mm -hmm. He is gay, like a dog lover. He's in a park himself. Yeah. This, this guy's the most unthreatening guy out there. And because of, you know, maybe, I don't know what it is that she's seen or, or I, I just believe it was that privilege at play. And I know yeah. If it's happening outside the office, it happens within the office. Uh, tell me if these names, you know, before we conclude, and, and I'm so enjoying this conversation. I don't get to have these types of conversations very often. So thank you so much for coming on and really being so open and, and just sharing, helping to share with the audience uh, some of the different challenges you're facing in getting your job done. But I'm going to call off some names to you. Tell me if they are. Uh, Ring a bell. Okay. Because as I was doing research for, for this particular interview, you know, something occurred to me, but I'll read off five names to you. Okay. Kenneth, Kenneth Frazier from the company Merck. Um, Marvin Ellison, Ellison from Lowe's. Uh, Renee, Jane, Renee Jones from M&T Bank. Uh, Roger 
Ferguson from TIAA and Jice Zeitlin from Tapestry. Do any of those five names ring a bell for you? I think the person from Lowe's and Jack from Tapestry, but I'm trying to remember why they ring a bell. Um, I think that they've been part, I've, I don't know if I've met them directly, but um, I think they are diversity and inclusion leaders of some sort. I'm gonna stop you there, just in the interest of time. Who are they? As I was studying and researching for this particular interview, I asked myself, how far have we really come? Mm. And I wanted to know how many black and brown CEOs are there oh, CEOs. in the Fortune 500 companies in this five? Yeah. Well, that's so much further. I think it's forward, well, Tapestry, he stepped down. Oh, Tapestry stepped down. Yeah. Got okay. So we're, we're, down, we're down to four. You know, we, 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 we had Ursula Burns, who everybody knows from Xerox, uh, you know, first black woman CEO, and she stepped down in 2016 as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just Zero showed, black women. No, we have no black women. I named five black men. Yeah. And, and no black women. So it just showed just how far we have to go in corporate America. Before I let you go, I, I, I think you are necessary, mm-hmm. but my audience is full, is filled with entrepreneurs. Yeah. Why have you never chosen to go the route of entrepreneurship? Mm, yes, yes. You know, I think for me, it's important to have representation in corporate. And I think you just naming the four black male CEOs um, that exist now shows that the representation is needed. And and I think too is entrepreneurship life is hard, but I, I think that I'm an entrepreneur as well, but I also lead corporate. And what we do is those of us in a corporate space, we're actually creating and, and trying to fund opportunities for entrepreneurs and small businesses. What I love specifically and one of my biggest takeaways in working at H&M is the entrepreneurs and the small businesses that I've actually been able to bring into the company and create partnerships for them. And not that they couldn't get it on their own, but this was the first time that the organization has worked with these with these entrepreneurs before. And now they can take that and put it on their resume and put it on their company profile to show I've worked with this big global company, which will open up the doors for other companies to follow. So I think it's like everyone doesn't have to be an entrepreneur. I think that I think that you can be an entrepreneur in your own right, but being a corporate leader, it, it, it helps and it pushes the diversity that is very much needed and the representation that we need in order for us to create more spaces for other people. Because every single person in the world is not going to be an entrepreneur. So who's advocating for those that are in the corporate spaces? We need representation everywhere. So in entrepreneurs, small businesses, startups, corporate, everything, and including all the industries as well. And what I've committed to in my entrepreneurship spirit is to make sure that I'm creating programming and opportunities where I can bring in those entrepreneurs in order to create um, big contracts and budgets for them in-house. 
I just thought of something and I don't want to let you go before I ask this question. We've seen Colin Kaepernick who has now, mm. you know, now he's, he's damn near iconic, the name Kaepernick. But years ago, he was slandered. Uh, he was ridiculed for taking a peaceful protest, taking a knee, peacefully protesting, something that under our constitution is his right. He lost his career behind it. So for anyone who is within corporate, what is the proper way, I don't wanna say to protest, but to bring light to issues without being ridiculed, without being blackballed, without, without being fired yeah. for some other cause. Mm-hmm. You being on the inside now, how should somebody go about doing this, especially a person of color without looking like the angry black man or the angry black woman? Yeah, I think what, what Collins did, I think was remarkable. And he really um, put himself out there for change and his name will forever be part of history um, into where we are um, today and where we continue to advance to. You know, it's it's one of those things and I'm sure he, he I'm sure he probably kind of waited out too and and probably was like, all right, so am I going to do this? Am I not? And, and I think sometimes when you're making those bold statements, when you have such a platform, you have to be prepared of what it may look like, you know? And, and I think that, but you have to feel and really believe that there is a bigger purpose outside of that. So yes, maybe his professional career and professional football has ended, but he is still very iconic. He is still getting contracts. He is still being spoken about. So his purpose has now outlived what he was going to be doing professionally. So it's such a big win for him. I think for, for, for those that are in these corporate spaces and trying to advocate for change, I think the, the biggest thing that I've actually seen work is really um, you lead with grace, right? You, you lead and it's not about being um, combative. It's not about being um, disrupt. Well, you, you are to be disruptive, but it's not about being mad and being defensive. It's really about highlighting that there's an issue being available to help solution against that issue and then providing solutions as well. And I think that that's the thing that you do. And what you can do is find people that know who you are, that can um, add to your credibility, that can amplify your voice if maybe you can't get in the right room, right? So maybe for your organization, it's hard for you to speak directly to the CEO because the CEO is just not that accessible. Okay, well then find out who has those connections to the CEO. How do you get your name in there? But I, I think that you have to be aware and know that the, what, what if there's retaliation, but know your rights, know your rights and document things. And I tell people, I'm, I'm like, I tell people, I'm like, I'm not gonna get fired. Like, well, why would you fire me? Like, because I know my rights and that's not me being cocky, but it's like, I am going to document the hell out of everything so that if I do come to a crossroads where someone feels like they need to fire me because I was being vocal, there's going to be a lawsuit that's going to happen. And yes, it may be tiring and going through there, but I'm not just going to let it go. You know, and I think that we need to be prepared of what the greater purpose is. And there's a way to advocate for change 
by also being part of the solution. And I think that that's the biggest thing. And that's actually what Colin was trying to do for the um, NFL. Unfortunately, they didn't look at it that way. And they was kind of labeled him as a problem child. But like I said, now he's going to be in rooms where he is probably designing strategies for the same exact thing he was just protesting and was just kicked out for. So now the ball is literally going to be in his court as to whether or not he's going to go and he's going to support them and he's going to help them make the changes or if he's going to do his own thing. And I think that that's what you do. You put your best foot forward and then you try your best. And then if for whatever reason you are um, not heard or you're terminated by it, then you can see how to use that opportunity for your next. As an A, I, you know, like I said earlier, I could speak to you all day. Yeah. I, I thank you so much for your time. I thank you so much for your insight. And I thank you so much for being willing to just share with our audience. If anybody is trying to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Yeah, thank you again for, for having me and for elevating my voice and the work that we're doing for diversity, inclusion, equity across all industries. If anyone is looking to contact with me on social media platforms, I am at I am Ezzy, so that's I-A-M-E-Z-I, which is the first three letters of my name. Um, and of course, I'm also on LinkedIn too, which is just my first name and last name. I'm happy to connect and to continue the conversation. And, uh, you know, Sean, just keep doing what you're doing. And, and we appreciate you for being a power player and for creating spaces like this to educate, especially if I, you know, I don't remember things like this when I was growing up. You know, so it's so good to see it and it's so good to be a part of it and, and to be part of that journey of change. Thank you so much. As an A, you are a true power move maker. Continue success and blessing. Thank you. What's up, guys? Thanks for sticking with me to the end of the video. Truly appreciate you. If you like anything you heard here today, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you know anybody that can benefit from this message, feel free to share. Peace and love.